0: Hey everyone and welcome to Developer Team. My name is Jonathan Cottrell and today I have the pleasure of continuing my interview with Russ Taylor. Russ works on the continuous integration team at Etsy. So he's working on a very big product and that was what made it so interesting to talk to Russ. Uh, he's working with a team of quite a few developers and uh, he, is, he is talking about how to make things easy, how to lower the bar of entry uh, to allow everyone to start testing. We talk about the importance of testing as well. And in this episode, we also talk about how to stay productive. I hope you enjoy this episode of Developer Tea with Russ Taylor. Russ, welcome back for part two of our interview. Uh, I'd I'd love to jump in uh, and start the interview or start the second part, but I want to do a quick recap of what we talked about on the first part of the interview uh, we talked about continuous integration and uh, doing programmatic testing, and how every business is different. How testing looks different for every business. Uh, what else did we talk about on that last uh, last part?
1: Um, just kind of making testing easy, um, making sure that you you kind of have a level of confidence in your tests.
0: Definitely. So, speaking of making testing easy, as someone who is primarily involved with uh the testing culture we're we're going to talk a little bit now about you know how to encourage developers to continue testing because it really comes down to being disciplined and doing those tests right like actually writing the tests because it's not always easy to to uh, continue forcing yourself to write tests especially when you know exactly how to solve a problem with code already uh, writing a test for something that you already know is going to work, sometimes that seems like overkill. Um, so, how, especially as a as a senior developer, um, that is, you know, trying to mentor junior developers and um, make sure that the quality of our code is continuing to be high, you know, high quality code. How can I encourage those? Uh, those younger developers, especially, to continue writing tests, and even when even when it doesn't feel like they need to,
1: I'd say one of the biggest things is, especially when it it especially applies in in a larger organization. But I'd say even just if if it's just you on a project, it's still important because you want to make sure that things don't break in the future. So. Even if you know exactly how to solve a problem and it's going to be really straightforward and you just you know want to get the resolution to this issue or, or build out this feature really quick, um, testing allows you to know that in the future, if someone makes a change or if you make a change that is going that breaks that feature or breaks that method you wrote, whatever it may be, you know that the test is going to catch it and that the test is going to let you know, hey, there's a problem here. That's that's one of the biggest things is um, causing those those regressions, those bugs that w- in a feature that was perfect beforehand,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but something changed, maybe in in something that it depended on. Um, let's say you have kind of a a layer of abstraction to deal with the database. If you're changing something there, and all of the rest of your code is depending on it. You want to know if you break something that mm-hmm. in the rest of your code. And if you don't have tests in place, chances are you're not going to notice it. And that's the problem is that a lot of bugs can be so subtle. yeah. And if you don't have good testing in place, you'll, you'll just never notice that it's a problem. So, like, for example, I know, especially when you're dealing with payments and things, just mm-hmm. little things can make a big difference. I think just a few weeks ago, um, there was an issue on on Etsy site where we were actually overpaying some sellers and we were underpaying other sellers. Mm-hmm. So it, it could have been as simple as a, a rounding error. But when you're dealing with those terms, it makes a big difference.
0: Sure. Especially when those those numbers start getting multiplied, right? Because exactly. you see you see uh, 50, 50 rounding errors. Well that's no longer a rounding error.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: And even technically speaking, 10, it, it, that is no longer a rounding error. That's actually a, a true error. It's, it's beyond uh, that, that uh, decimal point, right? And that's, that's a hard, sometimes that is, that's the hardest type of thing to test because you may not even see. it. The reality of testing is he, there's never a way to cover every possible scenario in the world, right?
1: No, definitely not. You need to cover the most important cases, mm-hmm. and I think another big aspect of of testing is making sure that you have a good infrastructure in place for testing. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be running the tests often. One thing that we do at Etsy, I know it it wouldn't necessarily work everywhere, um, especially if if say you're you're just doing freelance work. But we actually have. Um, In the IRC bot that we talked about in the last episode, that IRC bot, before it actually pushes code, will tell you if someone is in the push queue who didn't actually run tests locally beforehand. Uh. We kind of keep track of who's actually run the tests that we already have on Mm -hmm. their new code. And if you haven't run those tests, it'll say, hey... So and so didn't run these tests. I just want you all to know.
0: <laughs> so there's like a social aspect to that sort exactly.
1: of exactly. It's it's kind of a little bit of public shaming. Yeah, <laughs> run the tests. Um, and so that that's one other aspect. So you want to run your tests often, and you want to make it super easy to write tests. Mm-hmm. If it's hard to write tests, it reduces the number of developers that will actually write tests exponentially.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it already is hard to write tests. Exactly. Writing writing tests is a difficult thing to do. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise that it's a beginner's level thing. Tests are not easy. And the reason they aren't easy is because knowing what to test is the hard part. Writing code after a test, uh, that's relatively... More I would say that writing tests is harder than writing the features that support those tests typically that's not always true uh, typically, that is the case now if you're working with a like a difficult algorithm and you know what the outcome is supposed to be and then you have to you know write the code to make that outcome true that 's a different story right uh, but typically speaking, there's a lot of creative thinking and and a lot of problem solving that happens when you are architecting your different test cases mm-hmm. because you have to you have to think about uh, all these different problems that might happen right and they haven't happened yet you aren't fixing something you are uh, predicting a future thing that you would have to fix right a, a scenario that causes an error and you want to make sure that it doesn't cause that error
1: exactly i'd say Thinking about writing the tests is one of the best ways to actually write bulletproof software. It it really helps developing the software itself. When you're writing a feature, if you're thinking of all of those test cases and thinking, oh, what happens if, say, you know, I pass in a negative number here, Mm -hmm. even if you never expect a negative number, those are the types of things that really help you write more bulletproof software. I, yeah. I won't say just bulletproof because no software is ever bulletproof.
0: Yeah, it's more like a bulletproof vest, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. It it helps. Yeah. It really helps.
0: And, and if you didn't catch the joke there, bulletproof vests don't always work, but uh, they, they increase your chances of surviving if you were to get shot. Anyway, the idea here is to, and have you heard this, this concept of, I'm sure you have, the happy path?
1: I actually haven't.
0: Oh, okay. Well, then I'm glad I get to introduce this to you. Uh, the happy path, and I'm not going to mess this up. I'm going to look it up to make sure that I'm not going to get this wrong. Hang on. Happy Path, according to Wikipedia, uh, it says, in the context of software or software or information modeling a happy path is a default scenario featuring no exceptional or error conditions and comprises the sequence of activities executed if everything goes as expected Uh, for example the happy path for a function validating credit card numbers would be where none of the validation rules raise an error thus letting execution continue successfully to the end generating a positive response Right. So uh, this this concept is to write tests for the things that are supposed to happen uh, that are not exceptional cases that are, you know, what the user intended to do. They actually succeeded in doing. Mm -hmm. And that's a different a different way of thinking about testing than just avoiding errors. Right. Because uh, the most common case is that people are going to get it right. Uh, people know how to enter their email and password. Typically speaking, uh, it is that five percent that you that spend. We spend a lot of time developing for, uh, but if we don't have our happy paths <laughs> uh, properly in place, well, then what's the point, right? We have to make sure that the software works in the right case as much as we have to make sure it works in the wrong case. Exactly. And that's that is a useful concept, I think, when writing tests. Uh, to consider that first, and then the diverging the the diverging paths uh, you consider kind of afterwards, and make sure you handle those properly to get people back on the happy path.
1: Exactly. That's that's exactly what what error handling is for is to to help your users get back onto the right path.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not just to inform them, but to guide them.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and you know that that's one thing if if users can break your software, they will, Mm -hmm. you know, even if it's just in that 5% and it's, it's important to be able to, To help them gracefully back to that path.
0: Sure. Yeah. But you have to have that path in place to help them back to. And that that's kind of the idea of of that happy of of those testing. And and that brings up another concept and I guess a question for you. What things do you guys not test? Like what what do you say? Okay, that's you know, you don't need to test that necessarily. For example, uh, we don't test visual stuff. We don't we don't test our our CSS. And I've seen a few articles that have been coming out that talk about, you know, how to test CSS and how to raise, you know, how to uh, identify when you're using hacky or improper CSS. Uh, How do you guys handle that?
1: Um, I would say for the most part, we we don't handle that. I I think, number one, that's one of the most difficult things to test, Mm -hmm. is the visual aspects. Number two, those are the things that either won't affect users as much as say overcharging their credit card yeah yeah um, but also they're, they're things that are much more noticeable
0: sure mm-hmm.
1: and so they're they're not necessarily as important to test and so the fact that it, they're so much more difficult to test and they're not necessarily as important to test means that you know they're not necessarily worth spending a huge amount of time on
0: right yeah because it takes a lot to try to test that stuff
1: it does it does um in in my last um last position at my last company i i was writing automated tests that were actually going through the user interface and it it was so difficult to get the test stable enough that we could actually be confident in the results yeah they were they were failing for you know Random little things that the the test suite outran the JavaScript on the page yeah. <laughs> and tried to click on an element that wasn't there and and the the test failed. Yep. When mm-hmm. it, that's not something that a user would ever experience. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen a user click around the page in in milliseconds. Right. So just the added difficulty doesn't necessarily warrant spending a lot of time there.
0: Sure. And you run into some of those things with with integration tests. Uh, just just a quick overview of what that is. basically, an integration test is uh at least my understanding of an integration test. Everybody has their own definitions of these things, but uh, my understanding is that it it brings together everything and actually acts as the user uh to to walk through each of these processes um, and that 's kind of what you 're alluding to there is you know it opens up a browser it actually runs JavaScript stuff right. Um, and so you're going to run into some of these difficulties with, with integration tests or, uh, or things that that uh, um, try to model a user's behavior, but in reality it's very hard to model a human. Uh, and so, so there's some intuition that has to be used and, and just be smart, right? Like I know that sounds really, uh, dismissive, (laughs) but, but be smart about what you're doing. If your tests are failing and they shouldn't be, and you can go into your browser and prove that it, that it's working, well, there's probably something wrong with the test suite somewhere, right? Uh, and it warrants looking into, you know, how do you fix the test itself and that's not to say that you shouldn't be testing, but, but that tests are not uh, always perfect, right? They aren't always going to work. Tests can have bugs just like code can have bugs because it is, in fact, code. Exactly. And that's why it's the hardest thing to write. You can't write tests for your tests. <laughs> it's, it's, you can't write tests for your tests. You are the yeah. tests for your tests. Um, how many times can we say tests on this episode? <laughs> A lot more. <laughs> exactly. That's the spirit, right? More tests. More tests. Uh, yeah. So, uh, the moral of the story, um, listeners, is to cover your code with tests, uh, especially tests that are for the most critical parts of your application. Really obvious examples of this are, you know, user privacy and interaction with other users core functionality that, you know, is a part of your business model, um, anything dealing with payments, anything dealing with, uh, passwords and hashing, anything dealing with, uh, security, all of those things are the things that you want to test. Um, not so important to, to show everything, uh, or to cover absolutely everything in your tests. Uh, but the more coverage, the better is, is kind of the moral of the story, right? Exactly. If you have to choose, though, the first twenty percent that you should be covering should be the most important twenty percent. Yes, and that goes without saying, I suppose. But uh, I'm going to say it anyway: cover the most important things, right?
1: Yeah, most definitely.
0: And coverage, by the way, I meant to say this on the last on the la- on part one of the interview, but coverage is not just a a percentage, um, and, and and some people. Show their test coverage. They they tout a particular percentage. You know whether it's a hundred percent or whatever. Some people have over a hundred percent in code coverage, uh, which I don't understand how that's even. I guess it's lines of code. Is it a ratio? I don't know how it calculates these things.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know how it's possible to be over a hundred percent either. But
0: it seems kind of silly. <laughs> um, but the the reality is, uh, test coverage is. Is an ethereal concept that you can't really nail down to a number. Uh, it's a good guess, right? So if you have a lot of lines of code of tests, then hopefully, if you're doing the testing correctly, that's a good sign, right? But it, but it's not it's not absolutely uh, you know fail proof or it's not absolutely uh, bulletproof or fail safe.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's something. Like you said, um, covering the most important cases is is what's going to be the most important. Um, I it's kind of repeating important quite a bit, <laughs> but um, it, it's you know if if you're covering that um, kind of the the critical actions that users are taking most of the time, you, you know you don't necessarily need to test everything. Um, you don't need to test that you know. Maybe someone can, say, view your about page perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it it's definitely there are some more important things, and that that it takes prioritization and saying, okay, what are the most important actions that users are taking? You know, with this feature or just in the site as a whole, and how much do we want to test that? Yeah. Do we want to cover every possible test case that we can think of, or only the most
0: common, right? Or or somewhere in between, right? Exactly. Uh, only the most common, and then maybe some of the least common, but not all of them. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, examples of things that I probably wouldn't cover would be like FAQ pages, right? That that that's probably just a visual thing. You can go and test, and if an FAQ, if a question is missing, you'll you'll probably find out. Right, because somebody's going to ask that question anyway, um, and you could test it, and it would be easy to test. But could you spend your time writing another uh, test for a more important feature? Probably, yeah, probably better spent time uh, writing tests. Or, or uh, you know, if if you are trying to decide between writing a test for your FAQ page or lowering the the barrier to entry for testing for your junior developers at your company. Uh, lower the barrier to entry. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and make that decision for you right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this is, this has been enlightening. And, and, uh, I, I hope that listeners understand, uh, that we aren't just, you know, obviously we aren't selling a product here. We aren't selling Etsy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) we're, we're selling the idea that, that writing tests is, is a good practice because it protects you Uh, from getting into scenarios where people experience your bugs, right? Uh, The hope is to avoid future issues by spending the time that you would fix them in the future anyway, right? So it it Mm -hmm. typically is a wash in terms of time. You're going to spend time in the future fixing bugs, or you can spend a little more time on the front end uh, writing tests to catch those bugs before before you know the user experiences them which one is better well in in the latter case you have to put more investment right there's like a 20% uh investment cost to writing tests up front or something like that i don't know exactly what that number is but there is it it takes longer to write tests than to just write the feature mm-hmm. however uh it may not in the long term be more of an investment than the total amount of time and losses that you would experience if you didn't write tests.
1: Definitely. Definitely. I mean, the, the goal of tests is, is really just, if you're running your tests, you want to be pretty sure that those tests would catch any catastrophic failures. Mm -hmm. Um, you, You want to be reasonably confident that your tests cover the majority of cases that users will see. If you're you're deploying some code and your tests pass, you can be pretty sure that most users will not see any difference, even if there are some bugs that make it through, which inevitably there are. Mm-hmm. You just want that kind of reasonable assurance that your tests would catch big bugs.
0: That's great information. I, I want to take a quick sponsor break, and then we're going to come back and talk uh, about j- just a few more questions that I have for you uh, before we wrap up the interview. Thanks so much to this week's sponsor, Imagix. ImageX is real-time image resizing as a service. It's backed by a CDN with global presence, so response times for images average 70 milliseconds. With ImageX, you can manipulate images by simply changing their URLs. And ImageX doesn't just crop images. You can manipulate things like brightness, blend modes, and watermarks, all by changing the URL of the image. You can even choose from over 10 formats and adjust the image quality all on the fly. There are libraries for Ruby, Python, PHP, Go, Objective-C, Swift, JavaScript, and more, so integration with your existing projects and new projects is very simple. Stop maintaining your Frankenstein ImageMagick setup and let ImageX handle it. It's free to get started, so just head over to imageix.com. That's i m g i x.com. Of course there will there will be a link in the show notes. Thanks again to Imageix. So, Russ, I don't think anybody is going to walk away from this podcast with any question <laughs> about uh, how we feel about testing. Um, and and I, I hope that you guys understand, once again, that this isn't us, you know, preaching for the sake of preaching. Uh, this is proven. There's there's tons of use cases where tests have covered um, me specifically and Russ, but tons of other people. Um, So I I would recommend that at least you try it out on a project uh, or two projects just to see, you know, how it changes your workflow and how it protects you from bugs in the future. Uh, So Russ, I have a few questions that I like to ask my guests and, and I like to ask them all this because I think it's, it's really important that we all learn uh, from other developers in the community and, and that's exactly why uh, I actually do these interviews on Developer Tea. So the first question that I like to ask is if there was one thing that you wish more people would ask you, whether that's developers or non-developers, uh, what would that
1: question be? I had, if there was one one question that I would like more people to ask me.
0: Yeah. So the, uh, the reason I, I came up with this question because I ask people, I, you know, I come to interviews and I have all this long list of questions that I'm interested in asking people. And the, the reality is, you know, I come to an interview knowing what I would like to be asked, like knowing what I can hit a home run on, you know, um, and not just hit a home run on, but things that I'm interested in talking about that I wish other people you know, would be interested enough in that thing to ask me about it. And that's kind of the spirit of that question.
1: Right, okay. Okay, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I like the, the thought process behind sure. this. I would say one thing that I think developers could almost always pick up on, well, not even just developers, people in general, could always pick up on from other people is kind of how to stay organized and stay productive about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in in just your day-to-day work, how do you how do you stay productive? I think that's something number one that I like to ask other people. And the other thing is it's it's kind of something that I like being asked as well because it's a way for me to kind of reflect on the way that I handle things and and on how I'm doing in let's say I've I've got this process set up for you know my to-do list. Mm -hmm. It's it's one way for me to reflect on how well I'm actually doing Mm
0: -hmm.
1: at you know keeping my to-do list or you know maintaining it or actually using it or you know whether or not I'm planning out things as well as I as well as I could be. Mm -hmm. And it's something where I feel like we can all learn from each other even if someone's process is completely different than yours. Oh yeah. Yeah. There there are things you can learn.
0: And 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 I'd like to ask you that question. What you know, what what would be something that you would recommend just, you know, maybe something that you're currently experiencing uh, that you feel like is is helping you stay productive on a day-to-day basis? you know, especially, and perhaps there's something specifically for remote workers that you could offer, but, uh, anything at all really that, that you want to share on that subject, because I think that's such an important subject for us to learn about.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say one of the biggest things that's, that's made a huge impact for me is just writing down what I need to do. Hmm. I mean, this applies across the board. Oftentimes say, my my wife will approach me and say hey could you do this if it's something that i can't do right then and i don't write it down then more often than not i'm going to forget about it yeah <laughs> especially if it's you know something mundane like hey um you know we're we're out shopping or something she said oh hey i'd really appreciate it if you take the trash out when we get home mm-hmm. you know if i forget to do that it's it's going to you know Hurt her, sure, yeah, and, and hurt me, and and it's if,
0: simple. It's very simple to do exactly. it, but it's not simple <laughs> to remember it.
1: Exactly, and so I feel like one of the most important things is having a system where you can write down all the things you need to do, and you know, at, even as small as they might be, mm-hmm. writing down the things you need to do and kind of the process you're going to take, um, and not even the big things, the little things, because. You know, our, our minds are really bad at keeping information and, and remembering everything. Yeah. And I think now, I mean, technology is so good at helping us with that. You know, you're, if you put an appointment in your calendar, say in, in Google Calendar, it's not going to forget to remind you, mm-hmm. you know, 10 minutes before or whatever. But if you forget to write it down, it's obviously not going to remind you.
0: Right, yeah.
1: The same goes for tasks. If you don't write something down, you can't know that you're going to actually remember it.
0: Right, yeah. yeah. My wife and I actually did this, this uh, process over the weekend, actually. So I, it's interesting that you mention it. Um, we, we, we were talking about all the things that we needed to do, and it felt a little bit overwhelming. And so uh, what we decided to do was write out literally every single thing that we could think of that we wanted to do in, in within the next week or so right mm. and then we gave each thing an effort score this is the developer inside of me coming out here <laughs> uh, we give it like a, a 1 to 5 uh, rating on effort and we give it a 1 to 5 rating on stress and then we gave it a one to five rating on what I called the must do column, which is basically like, do I really have a choice about this? You know, mm. regardless of how much effort it takes, do I, re- for example, developer T has a really high must do score because I, you know, mm. I, I, I'm committed to getting these episodes out. Uh, whereas, you know, I don't know, cutting the grass is slightly lower because I can function with long grass. I might not like mm. it, <laughs> but I can function with longer grass. Right. Uh, yeah, and that really was helpful. It, it helped us kind of visualize. And this is actually a thing. Uh, uh, have you heard of Kanban? I'm assuming you probably have. Kanban? Yes. Kan- yes, I so have. So Kanban, uh, for anyone who hasn't heard of it, is the idea of uh, you know limiting your your current work in progress. And the very first thing that they tell you to do, um, I say they, but the very first part of Kanban is to visualize the work. So whether that's writing it down or putting it, you know, put it on postcards on a wall, or if you want to do it on your computer, whatever, uh, exactly what Russ is saying is write it down or get it out of you and onto something so that you can kind of see the relationship between the different things that you have to do. The reality is if you go shopping and you have, you know, 30 things to get, try going shopping without a list of those 30 things. And tell me how successful that is. <laughs> the, the, what will probably happen, what always happens to me when I do that, is I go shopping and I get 35 things, right? And about 15 of those things are not even on the list at all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I miss out on the 10 that I was supposed to get, and I get more than I intended to get in the first place. You know, and it, mm-hmm. it's just, it, it,
1: we're not good at holding that kind of information in our brains. Yeah. It's it's true. And I mean, it, there's something to be said. I know it, it sounds like a lot to say, write down everything you need to do. But when you do it, like there's it's kind of this this Zen mm-hmm. that, you know, there isn't something that you're forgetting.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But if you don't so much of the time, you'll just spend worrying. Did I forget to do something important? am, am I missing something? And if if you know that you can trust kind of the system you have and the list that you've written for yourself, it's it's amazing mm-hmm. how that changes things.
0: And you don't have to get fancy. Like a lot of people practice GTD and that's fine, you know, the getting things mm-hmm. done method. And and that is there's a there's a significant portion of this though that is just psychological, right? Uh, that you're just trying to hold on to information in your brain, but if you put it out on a list, well I mean, you don't even have to necessarily keep that list on you. Uh, The process of getting it out on paper helps you understand the realities of what those things actually are. Absolutely. And this is totally true for development too. Like if you have, if you're working on a project and you need to get, you know, 10 things done this week on that project or whatever, uh, it it definitely helps to plan when you're going to do those things. I mean, it's very simple, right? Plan when you would like to do those things and, and actually write them out. You know, put, I, I like to do this at night uh, for the following day. And some people like that method. Some people like to do it first thing in the morning. I like to do it at night and then sleep on it. And then when I wake up in the morning, I don't really have to think about a
1: lot. I just go straight for that list of, of stuff yeah. to do. Yeah, you, you already know where you're going to start and what you need to get done.
0: Now, let me ask you this, uh, when you write out the stuff that you need to get done, do you integrate all of the categories of life? I know some people have like a work to do and then like a personal to do and then, you know, a home projects to do and all these different like ways of handling. I like to bring everything into a single list so I can say, okay, you know, there's trade offs in my day, but ultimately, you know, I, I have the same amount of time in every day, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah yeah i I think that there's a lot of value in having them together because I mean, depending on on your position and you know what you're doing, things aren't always neatly separated in life, and so you know if if you're out, say you need to ship something for work if if you're right next to say the pharmacy and you need to pick up a prescription it it doesn't make sense to you know, forget about the pharmacy just because that's a personal thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and just go ship it. I mean, you know, you you can integrate things and and make it 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 just it's so much smoother. Right. If you can have a good idea of, you know, everything you need to do all in one list or, you know, just in one place. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Great insight. I think that's a, I think this is something that a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of developers kind of assume that they can just rely on their tools or, you know, I don't know, listen to a podcast that talks about being productive and then suddenly they are productive. Uh, I challenge the people who are listening to this episode to actually try this for a week and see how it changes the way you think. Uh, First of all, it's going to be hard because you have to actually change the way you're acting. Uh, on a daily basis, change the way you're thinking about you know the tasks that you have to do. But secondly, I really do think now not one thing works for everyone, uh, but I, I this this method definitely works for me. It apparently works for Russ and quite a few people I know. This is really effective for them, especially developers. I've found, uh, and I think that might have something to to do with the way that developers naturally think. Uh, you know, in in terms of kind of concrete construction and that kind of stuff try it out and you know, let, us, let, let me know on Twitter, let Russ know on Twitter uh, that it was helping you or that it was a terrible idea. You know, share with <laughs> us what you think about this because I think you know, exactly what Russ was saying, we, we have to start these kinds of conversations to be able to learn uh, about how to stay productive in such a crazy, busy world. Uh, I've talked about this on the, on the podcast so many times about uh, how focus is really hard to achieve. Right. It's just notoriously hard, but it's also absolutely necessary.
1: You touched on a really important point, and that's that it's going to be different for everyone. And, you know, the important thing is to decide on a process and try it out. Mm -hmm. And if it works for you, awesome. Chances are it's not going to work 100 percent. It's not going to be the perfect thing. It's never going to be the perfect thing. So be willing to adapt it as time goes on. Just stick to it. And that's the important part.
0: And and, I mean, all you can do is look at what has worked for other people and try it. And if it doesn't work for you, that's not because you're doing it wrong necessarily. You could be implementing exactly the same thing that they implemented and their brain just works differently. Or maybe they have a different work style. Uh, There's so many different uh, variables that go into into what we call productivity we try to we want to simplify productivity down to this like you know what is the uh, equation for productivity i don't and i just don't think that's that's a reality i think i think the reality is more like well we're, we're constantly hacking ourselves to try to stay productive and we mm-hmm. it's it's mostly about behavior right we, we have to learn what our behaviors are um and we have to um continue the good ones and stop the bad ones it seems simplistic um but but it's in reality you know what is simple and i said this on actually another episode um what is simple is not always easy right it's very true so doing the hard thing here is saying okay you know I, I i i'm not being productive when i don't write my tasks out and writing your tasks out could be the hardest thing that you do in a given day because it forces you to prioritize things or it forces you to face the facts or whatever uh, but it could very well be the thing that, you know, really helps you gain focus. Absolutely. Well, that was a great question. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that you, that you shared that with me so that we can, we could talk about that. That was certainly not planned, but, uh, sometimes those are the best kinds of. Conversations on developer tea. Uh the the last question that I want to ask you before we close out the interview, if you could spend just a few minutes uh, with a new or with an experienced developer, uh, what advice would you give them? and And this can be you know somebody who's brand new to the field or even somebody who's been in the field forever. Uh, what 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 kind of advice would you give them? Um, I would
1: say to keep things simple. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about testing and, you know, getting coverage and, you know, continuous deployment and all of those things. If it's overly complex, it's probably not going to work. Um, so one one thing that I really kind of like at Etsy is that the CTO of Etsy has, has talked about this a lot. And it's that Etsy uses boring technology, hmm. you know. PHP is not the coolest thing around. You know, I would probably, I personally would much rather be using Ruby. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, sometimes it's a lot simpler to use PHP. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And its, it's weaknesses are very well known. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, with MySQL. It's not the new hotness. It's not, you know, a NoSQL data store that, you know, it's not, I don't know, MongoDB. I, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's, it's not new. But at the same time, it's well known. We know what the weaknesses are. And trying to simplify things as much as possible, it, it makes a world of difference. So, you know, don't rush out to try the latest tools just because they're new.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Sometimes sometimes there's a lot of value in waiting until those tools are actually proven. And you know, if it's something that really meets your needs, then yeah, go ahead and give it a try. Mm-hmm. But, you know, try to keep things simple.
0: Yeah. That's great advice. And and I think it's great advice quite literally too when when you're uh when you're coding uh the single responsibility principle and All of these things that we've heard about so many times, you know, if you want to do the dry principle, that one's kind of controversial amongst object oriented design people. But uh, in any case, keeping things simple that means that your code will be simple for other people to read. Right. And, and the processes that you use, if you have a simple process, well then when you hire, for example, uh, it's going to be simple for them to come on board. The onboarding process will be much easier for them if you have a simple process. Exactly. Well, that's, that's a great answer. A lot of insight. Russ, you have provided us with uh, just an, an incredible amount of knowledge and, Uh, just so many things to think about going forward and a lot of inspiration. I hope that uh, the listeners have enjoyed this as much as I have. I hope so too. Thank you so much for being on the show, Russ. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Developer T. my interview with Russ Taylor. Of course, if you missed the first part, you can find that and the show notes for all of the episodes at developertea.com. If you have not yet subscribed, you can also do that on any podcasting app that you use. We're on Stitcher and there is an RSS feed available at developertea.com. Developer T is also in the running for the 16th annual Net Awards. Uh, there's just over a week left in voting at the time of the airing of this episode, uh, so make sure you go check that out. Uh, the website for the Net Awards themselves is thenetawards.com. Of course, you can vote directly for Developer T by going to bit.ly, that's b i t . l y dot L-Y slash vote T, V-O-T-E-T-E-A, all lowercase. That's bit.ly slash vote T. That link and all the other links from this episode will be in the show notes on developertea.com. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, enjoy your tea.